Spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. Crash landed. From comics to video games. From the cinematic universe to television. Connecting you to the biggest stars in the industry. Something out there had discovered us. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. I spy a double review week this week. It's episode 342 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham, and Alex Ryder is finally here on IMDb TV. And I thought, you know, what better way to get you prepared to watch the show, or maybe you've already started watching and want to learn more, than to have the cast on with me this week. Otto Ferrant's going to join me this week, who plays Alex Ryder. Of course, we've also got Ronke Adekolojo on the show, who plays Jack, and Brennick O'Connor, who plays Tom Harris. You won't believe all the amazing things they say about the series, which you can watch right now on IMDb TV. You heard me talk about The Liberator last week. I'll also give you my quick review of that show since I didn't get a chance to do that last week. And got a brand new sponsor on for you this week. It's Kobo from Rakuten. And if you want to learn how to score some great audiobooks for your listening pleasure, yeah, I got a pretty good deal coming up for you. But first... We're going to dive right into those interviews. Speaking of listening, you're going to want, you're going to, want to hear more about Alex Ryder from Brennick O'Connor and Ronke Adekolojo. They're up next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hi, this is Griffin Newman from The Tick, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Who's ready to join the agency and discover the secrets of Point Blank? Alex Ryder, available right now on IMDb TV. And I was so excited to get a chance to sit down with the cast of the series recently, and I got to tell you, it's so much fun talking to them. So as a matter of fact, let's jump right into it right now. My first interview with Brennick O'Connor and Ronke Adekolojo talking about their characters. Check it out. So as you guys were both kind of diving into the scripts, what was your first impressions of your characters? My first impression of Tom was, oh my God, it's just me. It's just me. It's... There was there was very little acting required in most of those scenes, uh, especially the the awkward teen interactions. I was like, yeah, I can I can dive into some memories here. But one of the one of the great things about Tom is he's just caring. He he, he cares and he shows love and he shows fear and affection. And it's 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 so lovely to see a teenager who isn't afraid of showing emotion to his best mate. And that was that was really lovely for me to see. My first impression when I looked at the script at Jack, I was like, why is she here? <laughs> because obviously she's <laughs> from America. So I was like, why is she here? So that was a big discovery journey for me. I had to figure out why she was in London. And I realized it's because she actually is really ambitious. She wants really good things for herself. And she also wants to go out of the status quo. And that's why she traveled halfway across the world. But then she finds herself falling in love with a family. Her life starts to go ways that I don't think she even planned. Absolutely. Now, both of you are very close to Alex in, in very different ways, of course. So just how do you think your character would describe Alex Ryder? I think to his face, he'd describe him as just an all right guy. Just <laughs> standard dude. Don't get too too big for your boots. He's just an all right guy. He's a laugh. He's a good mate to hang around with. But I think intensely genuinely I think Alex is one of Tom's only friends and certainly his only 
trusted like a confidant that he feels he can say anything to and I think that's a, it's a gorgeous thing to have I think for Jack she'd say he's a liability but he's also her favorite person <laughs> that is such a beautiful way to put it considering that when, when you guys watch the show that will make so so much sense <laughs> Now, now, Brennick, a lot of fans of the of the novel series, obviously, of which there are many, know that the Tom wasn't a part of the point blank story in the original novel. So, of course, without spoiling anything, how do you think they did? How do you think they did in actually fitting him into this story? I, I think it works perfectly. I think for for a hero to take a step down from hero and become human, there needs to be a deep base of humanity around them, and I think that's what Tom, Jack, and everyone else in his pre department life has a major part to play in. I think it's it's always interesting adapting from book to TV. There's always going to be discrepancies and changes and new characters added in in places where they weren't. But I, I think it serves the story in the best way in allowing Alex to show a softer side. No doubt about it. And Rocky, Jack has also known Alex pretty much almost all of his life, actually. So obviously she's going to be concerned about him what is it about the Ryder family that kind of made her stay you think even longer than she had to really I think that they also go against her perception of what she thought a middle-class white English family would be so she's like oh this is interesting and really um different to what I thought they would and she falls in love with that you know everyone has stereotypes or at least perceptions of what people are or should be and because she comes over as an American, I think she's really intrigued. But also she loves them, you know? She wouldn't say it to their face, but she Oh, of course not. Them. No, no, never, no. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, Ronke, I actually know that you're a big book nerd, so I, I'm very interested to hear your answer to this question. Okay, uh, okay. <laughs> Brennick was saying, you know, there's there's obviously different adaptations from, from page to screen when you're going from novels to TV or movies and varying degrees there. And so we're not going to do spoilers here, but I need to know, did you guys cheat ahead to kind of see what might be happening to your characters in the books. No comment. <laughs> oh, what is, isn't that a comment? Kind of <laughs> comment bit. then, but <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know what to say. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, she doesn't I've, want anybody to know. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've read all the books. I read the books when I was at school. So in terms of surprises for me, the books, I, I know what's happening in the books, but I was surprised when I read this series, so who knows? Interesting. Well, well then I'll ask you this. Did, did you have a favorite book in the series? Point Blank. Nice. Very Point on blank. brand. Very well done. Well Absolutely. done. <laughs> it, it seems to be most people's like favorite. It's, it's the second in the series you're entered into an established storyline, and it's a cool, cool, twisted story. It's great. Ronke, did you have a favorite, even though you didn't read any of them? <laughs> <laughs> I do. I did. My little brother always says, the, I mean, the very first book of anything, I think, is amazing. Mm-hmm. Stormbreaker, right? Mm. Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. James thought I didn't know. <laughs> no, I know you didn't know. I didn't say, I'm just saying, you didn't read any of them, but if you did, I'm, I was just wondering if you had a favorite. You know, it's, just, it's possible, right? Like, that's a cool title. I think that would be good. Yeah, let's read that. <laughs> now Brennick, you actually touched on this a couple minutes ago but i want to expand on it a little bit we actually don't get to see relationship i don't think like alex and tom's on screen very often anymore quite frankly so how important do you think that portrayal of their friendship is i, I think it's it's majorly important and I, I hope that a lot of young people watching it see it as an as a new example 
of what teenage interactions can be because I know a lot of people only interact or, or are influenced in how they interact with each other by the media they see so I think more people being honest with their emotions from a younger age especially men because we've always just as uh, as a people have always struggled in dealing with our own emotions I know I have and I think if 16 year old Bren was watching 16 year old characters be open and emotional and crying around each other oh my god it would make me feel so much better about what I was dealing with so I think that's where it stands from from me in terms of a change for tv I hope to see more Alex and Tom relationships going forward so do I man so do I now one thing that I loved about Jack Starbright Ronke is just how I mean she's just clever that's I just really like how clever that she really is so I gotta ask do you think that Jack herself would make a good agent. I think Jack would make an amazing agent if she learned how to suss people before she told them stuff. <laughs> you know, it's about like catching vibes and stuff. So later on in the series, as you probably know, James, we meet someone who's not really vibesy. He's giving mm-hmm. off a weird vibe, but she doesn't, she doesn't clock it. She's just like, blah, 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 chatting, chatting, chatting. So if Jack learned how to, you know, be a bit more perceptive, I think she'd be a wicked agent. I think she'd be better than Alex, but don't tell him I said that. But but do you think part of that, what you're talking about, is because of her soft spot for Alex? Do you think it would be different if there wasn't that connection with Alex? Do you think she would be more maybe dialed in to something like that? Yeah, that's true. I also think maybe Alex brings a lot of vulnerability to her. She feels that she needs to take care of him and make sure he's safe. So when he's not safe, yeah, you're right. Like any opportunity to find out what's going on with him, I think she, that's what she does. No doubt about it. Now, before I let you guys go, whether someone's read the novels or not, like Ronke, there's a lot of intrigue <laughs> this is in bullying. this story. So <laughs> trying your best, <laughs> trying your best not to spoil anything. What do you think will surprise fans the most when they watch the series, just in general? Oh, trying to be spoiler free on this one. This is hard. I think the scale of the set pieces will blow you away. And just the ability of Otto Farron. Yeah. This is just a showcase of how good this boy is. It's just phenomenal. Every scene is a joy to watch with him and every scene to act with him is a real, real journey. I agree with Brennan. You know, he does things and you go, how, what? How does he do that? And that's also Otto too. Otto does things. You know, what? How do you do that? <laughs> He's incredible. That's going to surprise audiences, definitely. Excellent. Can't wait for you guys to see Alex Ryder on IMDb TV on November the 13th. Ronke Adekalojo and Brennan O'Connor, a lot easier name to pronounce for me. So that, that, was, that was very nice. <laughs> so thank you both for joining me this week. Thanks, James. Thank you. I'll have more on Alex Ryder with Alex Ryder himself. That's right. Otto Ferrant joins me next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is David Fielding, Zordon from the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, and you're listening to Down and Nerdy Podcast. Otto, thanks for taking the time to do this today, man. I appreciate it. No, thank you for having me. It's nice to talk to you, James. Good to talk to you as well, man. So I saw something where Anthony Horowitz actually said you were chosen from like 650 young men that were actually auditioned for this part. So take us to that audition day. And what was that like? What was going through your head on that day? Oh man, it was uh, an intense day because this audition process went over about three months where I did my first self-tape to the last audition. And the last audition was a full day 
where there was about 20 other boys in this room. They were auditioning for Tom's and, and there was a few girls there auditioning for Jack's and you were being paired up as Alex's and Tom's and Jack's. And, and I had loads of different pairings. And then when Brennock and, and Brennock O'Connor and Ronke Edekaluajo walked in the room, it was just like, it was just, I connected with them immediately. And, and I just knew it'd be so much fun to play this role. I remember the closer I got to it, the less I wanted to admit that it might happen. Because I think if you have that optimism or, you know, if you if you start to believe it, it's, I don't know, it's, it was just too hard to believe. It was such a great job. And I, I loved these books growing up. So yeah, it was, it was nerve wracking. The audition process was nerve wracking. So speaking of Brennan and Ronke, I mean, finding out that Alex's uncle wasn't who he thought he wasn't who he thought it was and going down that whole spiral in the first episode or even, or even two episodes, definitely had to create some issues for him. So talk about just how important it is for him to have someone like Jack and someone like Tom in his life. I think it's so important. Alex, Alex throughout this whole journey doesn't know who to trust. That's, that's so, you know, that's what's, that's one of his biggest flaws as well. Well, it's, it's not, but he, he doesn't trust anyone, you know, and he has to learn to trust people, but he has his close circle of friends. He has Jack and he has Tom and he knows that they're going to love him unconditionally and they're his strength, you know, they're his heart. So they're, they're such important characters and to have those two actors bring those characters to the to screen, you know, like it was, it, it made my job so much easier, to be honest. <laughs> it really did. You can't plan that sort of thing. It just, you just connect to some people in that way. No doubt about it. Now, just based on the trailer alone, people can see that, you know, there's a lot of action. There's a lot of cool stuff that happens in this show. So I got to ask, I mean, how many of you, how much of your own stunts did you actually get to do? And please tell me you got to get on that snowboard. Okay, so I got to do a fair amount of stunts and I got to get on the snowboard. I will say I, I was allowed to get on the snowboard. I was not allowed to go down the mountain. Ah, oh, bummer, bummer. I know, because I know, the annoying thing was they got me to do this. They, they organized this full day where I was like meant to drive to this snowboarding center and get a test done to see if I could actually snowboard. And I went and got it done and, and the stunt guy said, yeah, you can do, you can do all this stuff. You can do the stunt and you could do, you can go down the mountain. And as soon as I got to Romania where we filmed the snowboarding scenes, they went, absolutely not. No way. You are not getting on that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Now, one thing that stood out to me about Alex Otto is, is just his instincts just throughout the entire season. So do you feel like his instincts are actually his greatest asset? I do. I think that's a superpower, you know, like, we live in a world now where superhero movies are the norm and you know everyone's looking at superheroes to save the world but actually i think what's way more interesting to watch for me at least is just you know the everyday heroes the normal people and alex alex's greatest superpower is his instinct he doesn't you know he doesn't have super strength he can't shoot webs or anything like that but he can think on his feet and he does it pretty well most of the time sometimes not so great but he but but he always gets out in the end you know that's why this show is so interesting because he's a normal kid He's a normal kid in in this in this adult world of espionage, and, and he has yeah he's got he's got to think on his feet, and he does. Let's expand on that a little bit because I mean I feel like there's a lot of ways you could describe Alex Ryder. I mean you'd call him a spy, you'd call him like you said a superhero, or you could say that you know he's just you know a good person. So how do you think Alex sees himself? So I was thinking about this today actually. I don't think Alex sees himself as a spy. I don't think he ever thinks I'm a spy. He, he probably would, for ease, you know, if someone asked, like Kyra, I think, asks him, like, what are you doing here? And he says, I'm kind of a spy, kind of, but not really, but kind of for ease of conversation, he'd probably say that. But he would never, because he doesn't trust the spies. He doesn't trust the spy world. So he's, 
he doesn't want to identify as them and so that makes me think that he does just have a he's just at heart he's he's a he's a hero he just has a, a moral compass which guides him the right way and sometimes he doesn't even like that moral compass because it, it it means that he has to reluctantly jump into that world no doubt about it now one thing we don't get to see from any of the trailers is really a whole lot about point blank itself so without spoiling anything just how creepy is this place and tell us a little bit about the friends that alex is going to meet while he's there so point blank is if you can imagine point blank in the books this the the actual when you bring it to life the cinematic kind of style that they've gone with is just something else it's something like it feels a little bit like it's out of the shining in some ways it's got that weird eeriness to it mm -hmm. it's creepy as hell and with that it, it feels like that because you've also got all these massive characters kyra and james and laura dr greif and eva stellenbosch so there's these larger than life characters in this eerily creepy place and that is just a recipe for disaster so yeah it's those are some of my favorite episodes to watch because you really are in in a creepy world there and it's got yeah it's it's great fun so check it out yeah it's definitely creepy now you you said you were obviously a fan of the books growing up which is which is very very cool but and, you know obviously when you go from page to screen you know things can change up from the books a little bit so how do you think they did in adapting this particular story for this series how do I think they did? Are you asking me to rate them? No, 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 no. Like, like <laughs> no. as far as like the differences are concerned, how did you oh. feel about the differences between, between like the, like the book and the screen? No, I wouldn't oh. ask you to rate it. I'm not trying to get you in trouble <laughs> here or anything. We Plus, you know, it's better. awesome. Yeah, it, but, this is awesome. This is way better than the book. <laughs> uh, of course, no. I would say that there's so many different, I mean, like you see, you meet new characters in this show. Kyra is someone who is, you know alex suddenly connects to in point blank uh, and she she brings out a whole different side of alex because she's she's very switched on she's very smart and she's cut the crap basically oh yeah so she's a great great energy to have and molly sue smashes that part i think this show is edgier and darker it's aged up obviously than the book so so hopefully fans of the books who've read it for years and years and years We'll see see the show in a different light and see something new and fresh about it. And hopefully new audiences will be attracted to that as well. Really quickly, Otto, before I let you go, what episode are you looking forward to fans seeing the most once the show gets going? Oh, that's a hard one. There's so many great episodes in this show. And you've got to stick around to episodes six and seven. Episodes six and seven and eight, to be honest. But the last three episodes are great. But a personal, I would say a personal favorite of mine is is number four when you when you first meet point blank it's kind of weird and there's something but you can't quite put your fit there's a there's a there's a slow tension to it which i really love so yeah that's a great episode as well but just stick around the whole series is great it's a roller coaster check it out i mean that's what i was going to say because it really is it's a great series you guys will find out alex Ryder premieres on imdb tv on november the 13th wait till you see all the stuff that this guy's got going on auto fair thank <laughs> you so much for joining me man thank you man have a good one once again, thanks to Brennick O'Connor, Ronke, Adeka Lojo, and Otto Farron for joining me this week to talk about Alex Ryder. Make sure you're watching it this weekend and again and again and again on IMDb TV. Already renewed for a second season two, so you can go into season one confidently that it's going to be a great story going forward. Up next, speaking of great stories, how about my spoiler-ish review of The Liberator from Netflix next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey, this is Tom Waltz. I'm the senior staff writer and editor at IDW Publishing and also 
a writer for TMNT at IDW, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. To all those who have served, thank you for your service and your sacrifice. I mean, I, I'm not even sure thank you quite covers it, but I thought it was only fitting this week to talk about The Liberator from Netflix. So happy to talk to Bradley James about playing Felix Marks last week. But I actually wanted to give you some thoughts that I had on the show because I was so deeply enthralled by this show. I was so locked in from the first minute of this show. It was absolutely incredible watching this journey of this company who ended up being like the most decorated company in World War II. It was absolutely incredible. And it wasn't necessarily, and that's what I loved about this series is it wasn't a series that was just, just another story about World War II, right? It wasn't just about the war itself. It was actually more about these personal stories of these, and I say characters, but these were real people. These were real people that actually experienced these things in their lives. And it was incredible for me to, to think about that as I was going through this, like all of the stuff that Felix Sparks went through in this series, and there was a lot of hardship and heartbreak for this commanding officer in this series and throughout his life. My goodness, what, what he had to endure and what they all had to endure in going through this trek through, I mean, Nazi-occupied Europe was unbelievable. I mean, it was just, it was so gut-wrenching at times. And I found myself getting so invested in so many of these different characters. I mean, not just Felix Sparks either. I was so like, like the story of Sergeant Colefoot to me was a really, really interesting one. And I'm, again, I'm not really going to spoil anything here, but the turnaround that Coldfoot makes is, is really something else. And there's such a great callback in the final episode of this series. There's such a great callback to something that happens in the early part of the series. It was it was such a good payoff and, and an answer that I thought we weren't actually going to get and we ended up getting. Also, Corporal Gomez was another character that I really, really enjoyed, played by Jose Miguel Vasquez, who did a sensational job in that role. And just watching these characters grow as the story goes on. Those are just the, and those are just the characters we had from us from the beginning. There was a father-son duo of Pop Bullock and Junior Bullock in this series, and, and I just got so attached to their story, and it wasn't just a father-son dynamic. It was a soldier-soldier dynamic as well, and just these individualized stories all wrapped up in this larger event of World War II was just so, just so incredible for me. And then you get into the trioscope or trioscope technology of this show and the visuals. And to me, I don't know how you felt about it, if you've already seen it, but it was just so visually striking. And I, I've thrown that word around before, but I'll tell you what, I was locked in. It was, it, it felt so much like live action, but it wasn't. And there was just so much about this that worked for me. And it, for some reason, it accented every movement in this series when you do this in this trioscope or trioscope technology. I don't know why it enhanced it like that for me so much. Maybe it's like, you know how like you, you put a spotlight on something? It felt like the spotlight was always on that movement in this particular way 
that they were shooting. And I actually thought that it was a great way to bring the, sur- the surrounding area in as well and to highlight actually where they were. And there was something about, like, the fog. There, there are a couple of instances, absolutely, that, 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 were, that were very foggy. And it gave it just this eerie sense to it. I mean, fog's eerie anyway, but you put it in in this context with this with this presentation, and it's it's pretty amazing to me. And it really just helped set the tone on this whole thing. And then you have one of the other in- interesting things about the Liberator was is that you get the German perspective on this a little bit as well, and it puts a very interesting spin on it that maybe maybe you hadn't thought of before or maybe that you hadn't considered before and certain the way that they go about the tactics and and the the actual I don't want to say ins and outs because that's not really the best way to say it but but the the intricacies maybe is the best better way to put it of the war itself and how battles are fought and what actually goes on during battles and sometimes Here's the other thing that I think maybe somebody else might not appreciate about this show, but I did. Sometimes in battle, it's all about waiting to make your move, right? And we get that in the show where you're actually getting parts of it where these soldiers are just waiting to make their move. And they know if they move an inch, it could mean the end of their life. But you actually wait in there with them. I mean, there's other stuff going on, too. It's not like you sit there for 20 minutes on this certain group of characters and all they're doing is just sitting there, not talking, not moving. There's certainly some of that, but you also find out what's going on around in other places as well. But I just thought it was, you know, it's not always that you're not always just going to cut right to the quick, right? This, this show kind of left no stone unturned and how they were authentic in the way things take place. And just the, again, the story of Felix Sparks in general, I can't give enough praise to Bradley James and the performance that he gave as Felix Sparks overall. It was just such an unbelievable performance. And the way that, you know, his letters kind of become a monologue for this series is just, ah, there's just something about those letters, man. They got me every single time. And I will say that they're at the, in the final episode when it looks like Felix is going through something pretty darn serious, there is a character and a name that you will know and you will recognize that pops up in this final episode. And it was a big wow moment for me. And it was, and it was a great way to kind of end things on a very interesting and positive note as far as I'm concerned. So I cannot stress to you enough how much you should be watching the Liberator on Netflix. It's four episode miniseries. It's a quick binge. I know that Veterans Day has has since passed, but if you love just a really good intricate war story, but tells the story of from the perspective of the soldiers themselves and really digs deep into the stories of the soldiers and not just the war, then the Liberator is absolutely something that you're going to want to see. This week, the Down and Nerdy podcast is brought to you by Kobo and their huge selection of audiobooks, including bestsellers and originals across all genres. And the, the Kobo app is a really great audiobook player. I mean, one of the great features that you can use, you, you can actually adjust the listening speed. You can actually speed things up or slow things down on the narration, depending on what your preference is. So it allows you to maybe get through a story a little bit faster or you maybe get a little bit more in-depth into the story and, you know, really hammer on each word. Now, you can also kind of, 
you know, drift off to sleep while you're listening to an audiobook, and it has a sleep timer that actually stops the book after a certain amount of time, so you don't have to worry about losing your spot. And whatever is in your audiobook collection is yours forever, even if you cancel. So start with your monthly subscription right now. As a matter of fact, get a 30-day free trial of Kobo, except in Quebec, Canada, unfortunately. After that, $9.99 in the U.S., $12.99 in Canada per month by going to Kobo.com slash down and nerdy. From the big screen to the small screen, in your pocket. Kobo has hundreds of movie and television tie-in audiobooks for you to listen to. Star Wars, Doctor Who, Stephen King, The Alienists. If you're a fan of any of those, you're going to be very, very excited. Make sure you get started right now to go to Kobo.com. That's K-O-B-O.com slash down and nerdy. Start listening to Kobo audiobooks today. That's going to do it for my spoiler-ish free kind of review of The Liberator from Netflix. Up next, speaking of reading, it's time to dive into comics. What we're reading next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey, this is Matt Hawkins. I'm a uh, writer primarily, but also the president of Top Cow, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Whether it's a tablet you're holding in your hand or an actual single issue, whatever you're reading on, it's time for what we're reading, and it's time to get the punchline. Punchline number one, finally getting her own issue. After I mean, it's not like it's been that long, but punchline number one is from James Tyne in the fourth and Sam Johns doing the writing. Mirka Andolfo on the art. Can't wait for that. And then Romulo Fajardo Jr. doing the colors. Gabriella Downey on the letters. And Yasmin Putri on the cover art. Now, this kind of picks up right where things left off at the end of the last issue of Joker War. So a little bit of little bit of spoilers here as we go through this review. But it also gives us a flashback from a year ago. And we see... Punchline, well, before she was Punchline, when she was still Alexis, her first meeting with the Joker. And it was definitely a traumatic one, for sure. And we get to see that the beginning of her trial is going to be interesting as well, to say the least. And this also, Lee Tompkins is in this issue. Harper Rowe comes back for this issue as well. And her brother Cullen is a big part of this, too. Now, they both seem to feel like there's something kind of off about Alexis during this first part of the trial. And her supposed remorse, right? So the first meeting with Joker was that, you know, kind of bad luck or is this like a catalyst to something bigger? But then there's a big ripple effect in the middle of this issue that that starts to form. And it's something that gets discovered along the way, almost on accident, which is interesting. And you see the ripples start to move throughout the issue. And it really reaches farther than you might expect and actually has some unexpected consequences as well. I'm not going to get into what that is because I certainly don't want to spoil that for you, but it really might just be the beginning. And some of the stuff that happens in this first issue was pretty stunning and pretty shocking. Quite frankly, I had no idea that it was going to get to this point. It was kind of like one of those, you know, like like the meme says, well, that escalated quickly. Yeah, just just wait. Now, I will say that, and I expected this when I saw the name attached, the art's fantastic. I mean, that's just to be expected from Andolfo anyway. But it's really, really freaking good, let me tell you. And I got to tell you, the way that James Tyne the Fourth and Sam Johns kind of paint the picture of what can only be described as a demented movement is really, really interesting. And there's so many details 
that go into this thing too. And it's almost like taking yourself inside the mind of someone who is slowly going down a very dangerous path is the best way I could really possibly put it. I was really skeptical going into this issue because I wasn't a huge Punchline fan yet. I'm a much bigger Punchline fan after reading this issue and how someone could get caught up in this madness like this and how it gets described. It's so brilliant that it's almost like everything leading up to this point, you had no idea the layers to this punchline character until now. And I, this is something I actually wish we'd gotten sooner. I'm glad we've got it now. Punchline number one, a big hit for DC Comics. So make sure you are going to get yours. Haven't done a Mad Cave Studios book in a while. Let's fix that, shall we? Terminal Punks number one from Matthew Ehrman doing the writing here. Shelby Criswell on the art. Micah Myers doing the letters for this one. Now, the story kind of begins, and we'll have some minor spoilers here as well. The story kind of begins with some rich douchebag who wants to transport some exotic animals for some zoo that he thinks is going to go viral. Basically, just a rich guy doing rich guy stuff that doesn't really care about the consequences or, you know, what it is as long as it makes him money sort of thing, right? Now, the problem is no one really knew just how exotic these animals, and I put those in air quotes, were, and how viral things were actually going to get. Now, the way that I use the word viral can be taken literally and figuratively, and you'll find that out if and when you read this issue. Now, caught up in all this are a young band of, I, we don't really know how old they are. It seems like they're teenagers or, you know, like late teens, maybe early 20s or, or early teens. Hard to say. It looks like early teens who are in New York for basically the gig of their lives, right? Like their band doesn't have a name yet. They're still trying to figure that out. But this is their shot at the big time sort of thing. Now, the only problem is, is that now they are literally running for their lives stuck in this airport. So it's, it's the, 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 again, things escalate very quickly. And there's a lot of very hapless people in charge in this book, too. It's, it's kind of unnerving in a sense, just how inept everyone seems to be in this issue, especially the authority figures. Now, the problem is, is that the story really is kind of all over the place. I mean, there's really no clear objective other than survival here. There's not a whole lot of details about how any of this really came about, only that this rich guy's a jerk and that people are coming to now investigate something they don't really know anything about. And it doesn't really seem like there's much that they can do about it either. That's the other crazy thing. But the, the art in this book was kind of was kind of neat. It actually reminded me of Lumberjanes when I was when I was reading it. So it really, really struck me like it was the art was very similar to Lumberjanes. And I saw that on the cover as well. It's one of the things that kind of brought me to this issue. But I don't know. It just seems like this is the, the everything's kind of frantic. And I mean, maybe that goes with the situation that they're in, I guess. If you wanna if if you wanna put it in those terms, I guess it makes sense. But at the same time, I don't know. Obviously you want you don't want anything to happen to this group of teenage kids, but there's no like there's no clear like protagonist here. The the antagonist is obviously the rich guy who's a jerk and you're gonna hate him, you know, regardless of how you feel about this issue. That's one thing. You're gonna hate this old dude. And but the monsters, I mean, aren't super interesting. 
either. I mean, it's certainly nothing that we haven't seen before in some way, shape, or form. I know, how to, I know it's really hard to do like a unique monster at this point, but I don't know. There, there's really no new ground being broken here. There's nothing overly shocking or super exciting going on in this issue. So I don't know. This is one where maybe I'll give it one more to see if, if things kind of get a little bit more interesting. But, I, you know, my optimism isn't up for this one, unfortunately. So Terminal Punks, number one. I'm just not sure there's a whole lot going on there. But if things change in issue number two, I will certainly let you know. That's going to do it for what we're reading up next. Could there be a spinoff in our future? Got some more nerd news coming at you to find out that answer. I'm James Witham, and this is the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Christine Adams from Black Lightning, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here comes the pain in the form of a spinoff. It's time for nerd news. And this is news I actually didn't expect at all. According to Variety, Painkiller might be getting a spinoff at the CW, that's right, the Black Lightning character played by Jordan Calloway will be getting a backdoor pilot sometime in Season 4 of Black Lightning. Of course, Jordan Calloway reprising his role. Now, here's the difference this time, though. One of the sources actually says that it's not going to be a special painkiller episode like we got for Arrow with Green Arrow and the Canaries. It's not just going to be a painkiller episode, probably painkiller-centric but not just a standalone episode for the character. Now, creator Sam McKeel will write, executive produce, and direct the pilot, the backdoor pilot, that is, for this potential series. And I got to say, first of all, let me, let me just get this out of the way right now. Painkiller is a very in-depth, intricate character with a lot of pain and a lot of baggage and just a lot going on mentally. And first, and in you know, Jordan Calloway's done a fantastic job in the role. There's obviously been a lot of layers to this character, both on the good side and on the bad side in the first few seasons of Black Lightning. This is a good character. This is an interesting character that could certainly carry his own spinoff. However, is this the spinoff that Black Lightning fans want or expected because I mean I'm sure that I mean the reactions already coming in of you know what about Thunder and Lightning what about even a Blackbird spinoff series with Anissa and, and but here's my thing with that and, and I totally understand that too and and I don't disagree with that necessarily right but at the same time one of the things that makes Black Lightning so good is that strong Sometimes uneasy family dynamic, right? No matter what, this Pierce family is always there for one another. So to separate that dynamic, to give one of these characters or two of these characters their own spinoff, kind of doesn't work right now. It's almost like if Black Lightning were to end as a series on its own, right? Then you could see, okay, maybe you do the Blackbird thing if Black Lightning's not going to be around anymore. Or, you know, maybe you do a Thunder and Lightning series if Black Lightning is going to be ending as a series. Maybe you do that. But to break up this family dynamic for the sake of a spinoff, I'm not sure that that makes a whole lot of sense. Like, even if you were going to bring in new characters like the Outsiders, for example, in Black Lightning coming up, a little bit more this season, you'd still want the family dynamic there, right? So 
I, I guess I understand why you wouldn't do a spinoff for for those two characters, for Anissa and for Jennifer. It's because I just think that would mess with the family dynamic too much. And, and you know, quite frankly, I was sad when they were all kind of, you know, not getting along. It, it messed me up. I didn't like it. So I'm glad when, when they're all together, that's what makes me happy when I'm watching Black Lightning. I love that family dynamic, and I don't know what the show would be like without that on a constant basis. Now, here's the deal. So I am excited for a Painkillers spinoff potential. I think that it's, you know, the, obviously the microscope's going to be on this character because this is a character that, you know, people might know, but at the same time, you've got to carry your own show now. And you got to have, although I kind of see Painkiller maybe playing a Red Hood type role, right? Like as an anti-hero sort of thing. I think that's kind of where this character has been settling in anyway. So it's almost like this character could be the Red Hood of this universe if they allowed him and to let him show maybe a little bit more personality in his own series. Right. So, and you know, maybe deal with a little bit of the pain that he's been experiencing. But at the same time, I'm a little leery of this too, because it's like, don't get too excited because we've kind of heard this all before, right? We heard this all with green arrow and the canaries on, Oh, well you've got cat McNamara who's going to be, you know, she's going to lead the show and she's going to have, you know, part of the family with her. And then, oh, by the way, you're going to have two canaries that are going to be joining her as well. You got Dinah, and then you've got Laurel. They're both going to, well, you know, Laurel, the, you know, the Earth 2 Laurel, anyway. You know what I mean, the the Black Siren version of Laurel. And, yeah, oh, this is going to be a great show. We're we got the backdoor pilot. Everything's going to be fine. And then we have not heard a peep about it since. Nothing. Crickets. It's almost like this thing is just completely forgotten about at the CW. So while this is exciting and while this could be a very cool spin-off series, I'll believe it when I see it. And I guess we have to wait kind of until this backdoor pilot anyway. I thought the backdoor pilot for Green Arrow and the Canaries was pretty good. I don't know why they decided not to move forward with it. I don't know if this is like a COVID thing or what, but I think that I I don't know. I'm 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 up, I'm 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 excited for this possibility, but I'm also cautious at the same time, I guess, because now I, I'm the CW is making me not want to get my hopes up after what happened the last time they announced something like this. Speaking of DC, they have a new person in charge. A new editor in chief was named from DC this week, and it's actually going to be Rami Jav- Javins, who has been with the company for a while. Actually, been with the company since 2014. And actually, this was announced by Senior Vice President and General Manager General Manager Daniel Cherry, the third. It's kind of like the GC's kind of going through a a dawning of a new era type situation right now, right? And there's definitely been some tough layoffs this year. DC and Marvel both, especially you know this this past week was not a great week for layoffs from either company. But 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 Javins comes in. With a pretty good resume, I mean, Javins was actually the executive editor of Global Publishing and Digital Strategy for a while, and is going to be responsible for, for developing and overseeing the execution of the company's annual publishing schedule and to grow all of DC's imprints. Now, that's a direct quote right there from the press release. That's kind of a tall order as far as I'm concerned, especially where DC's at right now. DC, to, to me, like I said... Very much at a crossroads 
right now, right? Like, which way are they going to end up going? Because this could go one of two ways. It could be the dawning of a new era, a, another a new great era for DC Comics, or this thing could go south fast, too, at the same time, especially in a comics industry that's very, very shaky in general right now anyway. And with AT&T now taking a little bit, you know, a larger role in the, in the day-to-day operations of things, it just feels like there's shake-up after shake-up after shake-up just at Warner Brothers in general right now, never mind DC Comics, and maybe more people, less people being asked to do more things. But, I mean, that's the world in general right now, right? But if you're going to do that, you might as well get somebody like Javins in charge here who is who is just used to, you know, dealing with a ton of stuff on her plate, right? And I mean, she she's actually, you know, been in the, you know, been in the salt mines too. She's actually, you know, been an editor editor for Dark Knight's Death Metal, recently Harley Quinn Breaking Glass, which was a which was a critically acclaimed and and if I'm not mistaken, award nominated if not award winning title, right? Also Justice League, some others as well. So I think that first of all, it's going to be an interesting January. Anyway, with the, with all those new titles hitting the shelves in a limited capacity, anyway, for DC. So I think that the the beginning of 2021 going to be very interesting at DC Comics, and it's almost like a okay. It's almost like Javin's biggest task is okay in March. Where do you go from there? Like after things are done in January and February, and you have all this new, 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 and you're supposed to be bringing things back to. You know, then all of a sudden going to bring all these stories from 2020 back. Where's your March? What do you do in March? And I think that that is going to be the biggest task for Marie Javins at the start here. What do you, what happens in March? Because I think that's going to determine the entire year for DC Comics, quite frankly. And, and Marie Javins seems to be very well respected with fellow creators, the, at least the ones I saw on social media. Anyway, so certainly well-respected, certainly deserving of the job, and we'll have to see how everything goes from there. Hulu's got something very, very interesting that's going to be coming along the pike in December. How about the Hardy Boys? I'm not, I wasn't even aware that a Hardy Boys live-action series was coming to Hulu. Shame on me, because they just released a trailer for that. And, you know, it's easy to say, oh, well, the, you, there's Riverdale vibes there, and there's vibes for for uh, Nancy Drew as well. And I mean, yeah, I guess to a certain extent there is, but at the same time you watch this trailer and and quite frankly, you know, even if you love Riverdale, you got to admit that show can be really off the rails at times. That, that, That show can get a little crazy even for its own good at times. Nancy Drew is a little bit, you know, a little bit less so than that, but this, this show seems like it's got a little, like there's a little bit more control involved here and you got frank and joe the hardy boys themselves you know they go to bridgeport with their dad after everything that happened with their mom and they they're trying to discover the truth behind a tragedy that's kind of changed their lives and it's kind of uncovering something even more in this town of bridgeport it almost reminded me of like in star girl when they decide to move to blue valley when the family decides to move to Blue Valley, then you get there and you find out the Blue Valley is like this haven for supervillains. I'm not saying that Bridgeport's a haven for supervillains necessarily, but there's definitely more to this place than meets the eye. And Dad decides to move them there, thinking, "Oh, this will be, you know, we got to get out of the city and 
you know, get a fresher perspective and we'll go here and things will be calmer and they're not calmer at all, Dad. Not not one freaking bit at all. But, I mean, this one looks really interesting to me. And, I mean, the Hardy Boys certainly, you know, from the classic book series, you, you, you know what they're all about. Even some recent comics where maybe they've teamed up with Nancy Drew or something like that. So this does seem a little bit more aged up. It does, certainly seems like there are certainly more adult things going on here in the in this in this particular trailer so it's going to be a little bit darker than any of the hardy boys books were from back in the day but at the same time this looks really interesting it looks like a nice layered mystery i'm really looking forward to this hardy boys adaptation going to be dropping on hulu on december the 3rd so we'll have to see how that one goes you know i'll have more for you on that at a later time though Here's something that could really, really be interesting. Another shakeup at Warner Brothers happens to be with the third Fantastic Beasts movie and a lot of news that came out this week. And yeah, the movie's been delayed, so has every other movie at this point. But it was comicbook.com that kind of first reported that Johnny Depp is not going to be returning as Grindelwald for the third movie, and you know why. I don't need to tell you why. I don't need to get into all of the legal stuff and... You know, everything that's going on with Amber Heard, no need to kind of dredge all that up, right? We're not going to get into that here, but he's had a lot of issues, and he was asked to step out of the role, which he has now done. Now, again, there were rumors that Colin Farrell might be coming back to this role. Now Mads Mikkelsen, according according to Deadline, Looks like he's in talks to replace Johnny Depp as Grindelwald. And, man, that would be pretty awesome, wouldn't it? To actually see Mads Mikkelsen join this franchise. And how good would he be in that role? I think really, really good. Right? So I think Mads Mikkelsen would be a great addition. And, and you know, you got to wait until the summer of 2022 to find out. That's when Variety says that this movie's actually going to come out now. But you know what? It actually gives them more time. And, and again, like I said, like I've said before, with so many movies log jamming 2021, is it really the end of the world that this Fantastic Beast, third Fantastic Beast movie is being moved to 2022? Absolutely not. As a matter of fact, I think this might actually work in their favor. This might actually help them out. So I'm all for it. Go ahead and move this thing whether it's Mads Mikkelsen or ends up being Colin Farrell or someone else, I think that, again, this is all going to work out for the best. And quite frankly, the, the the Harry Potter world in general needs a cooling off period, too, with everything that's been happening, J.K. Rowling and, and behind the scenes with Johnny Depp. This is a franchise that just needs a deep breath for a little bit, I think. So moving this till 2022 Yeah, it's certainly not the end of the world. And, you know, it gives you something else to look forward to in 2022. Plus, you know, maybe the world will be back to normal by then. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Again, make sure you check out our sponsor, Kobo. Go to Kobo.com slash Down and Nerdy to get your 30-day free trial subscription of some great audiobooks. Also, if you want more from us, go to social media at Down and Nerdy 757 on Twitter and on Instagram. Facebook.com slash down and nerdy. Find everything you need, including how you can subscribe to the podcast at down and nerdy podcast.com. Remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd, so let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds. <laughs>